What a beautiful video. What a beautiful story. We really want you to know this story. We really want you to believe it, to understand yourself in it. Because it's the true story of the past and the present and the future. It's the only story that explains everything around us and within us. It's a story that will give you purpose. It's a story that will give you hope. And so we're going to tell it again and again and again this term. And we're going to use that framework of creation, rebellion, redemption, new creation to understand God's will for the world and for us within it. And given it's that important, we thought we'd pay extra attention here at the start of this series. And we're going to try and do things a little differently in this preaching series uh, to show how the whole of the Bible speaks truth to us, not just uh, individual verses and passages. They're, of course, full of truth, but there is a, a, a cumulative truth that God wants to speak to us as we, as we understand the full picture that he's presenting to us, the full story that he is telling and that we are part of. And so usually when we preach, we will look at a passage and explain what that means. More so in this term, we're going we're gonna to focus a lot on the first three chapters of Genesis and the last three chapters of Revelation, because they are the beginning and the end of the story as God has given it to us. And he uses them to establish and conclude most, if not all, of the key themes in Scripture. And we can see there that that four-part structure, that four-part framework is really clear in them. So today I'm going to tell the story, and we're going to have a lot of references to those uh, two places in particular. And so why don't we start by asking God to help us to understand and believe his story. Lord, we're so grateful, those of us here who believe in you, who are hoping in you, who who know you. We're so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have shown us yourself and that you've brought us into something far greater than we would ever have asked or imagined. We ask today for a greater revelation of that. Help us know it more deeply, more truly. And God, we also pray for those here who are not sure if they're in this story, who are not sure if it's true, not sure if it's for them, that today would be a moment where they would step in. Amen. Amen. So let's look at this story with these four parts. Creation. Before the beginning... There was God, not alone, eternally and joyfully, Father, Son, and Spirit, united in being and love, needing nothing but overflowing with goodness and love. And so, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the account of creation in Genesis tells us over and over again that this was God's work. The writer says again and again, and God said, and God said, and God said. And he formed sky and waters and land, and he filled them with stars and birds and sea creatures and land animals. And it was all so good. God's power and wisdom seen everywhere. Everywhere you looked, you would see it. 
the beauty and the intricacy and the variety and the strangeness and the majesty. Creation is these things and more, but above all, it is the setting for God's great love story. It is the place where his beloved could live. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them and God blessed them. Amidst all that he had made, Beneath the stars from the earth, a creature like and yet unlike any other thing. With strong legs and skillful hands and far-seeing eyes and attentive ears and a heart and a mind and a mouth full of possibilities. Made of the same dust as all the rest, but made for something more made for something that not even angels would experience. That's us. That's every human ever. Made to know God's love and show God's love. Made to know what God is like and show what God is like to the rest of creation. Made to explore and discover and develop and innovate, and create, made to love, and care, and nurture, and cherish, and rule, given a planet's worth of opportunity, and the heaven of intimacy with our maker, countless days of new mercies to find, and everlasting faithfulness to rely on. Countless days of finding out all about this wondrous place, and filling it with praise to God, through thanks and song, through craft and skill, through thought, through families, through cities, through working, when resting, and through saying yes to God again and again, honouring him as the one who had given it all to us. This is creation. That was God's intention for creation. Harmony, adventure, Growth, unity, gladness, fruitfulness, love and love and love and love. All the goodness of Father, Son and Spirit lived in time and space. But that is not the world we know. Or rather, it is not the world we live in. We would not trust. We would not honour God and live with him. Lies were told and believed and acted upon. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say 
you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Desiring independence, we forfeited our inheritance. A life of love with God and with each other and with the creation. Lost. And so God tells them that pain will define their lives rather than pleasure, frustration rather than fulfillment, into every heart and every relationship and every corner of the earth. All around us and within us will come doubt and division and destruction, and death will be their end. They were banished from the garden, from the presence of God. And the wild became dangerous. And men and women became estranged. And cells turned cancerous and people turned murderous. And the ground strains against us. And the earth moans beneath us. And good is declared to be evil and evil is sold as good. And God is far from us. Or more to the point, we are far from God. What we were given was lost and longed for. Because if this story was a tragedy, its author, that's how it would have ended. If, if the author couldn't have the final word, this is how it would have ended. If God was not full of love, this is how it would have ended. A forever of misery and hopelessness and death and decay. But God is not just good at starting things. He is not helpless when faced with our worst. His love is stronger than death. He did not have to reassess or make a new plan. It was already agreed. Despite the ruin, redemption would come. A light in the darkness, life for the dead. Even in that first scene of sin, he was promising rescue. The snake is told that the woman he deceived will conceive and that will lead to his defeat. I will put enmity between you, he says, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And despite the entrance of death into the world at that very moment, the woman is named Eve, which means the mother of all living. Life will come. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. An innocent creature dies that God might cover the shame of sinners. 
These are all hints of what is to come. The redemption story reveals itself over a long time. There's a fragile family on the road who become a company of slaves and then a nation always on the edge of defeat. And they are the people God claims as his own. They are the ones who would host where heaven still met with earth, who would know God and show him to others, who would learn to live again his life of love and goodness and rule. And he was all that they needed. And they still, like everyone else, could not escape the curse, could not resist the offers of foolish and futile rebellion. But in their land, from their family, the Redeemer appeared. The Son, who would and could live in perfect harmony with the Father, the one who loved perfectly, the one who healed and released and restored. Suddenly, even as the darkness cursed it, the light dazzled gloriously. A human being, fully alive, living as God intended, was finally seen on the earth. And as he stopped a bleeding, calmed a storm, ended an argument, welcomed an outsider, told a story with a twist in the tail, opened ears and eyes and mouths and minds, as he called followers to himself, he took the whole story onto himself. Affirming creation, rejecting rebellion, offering redemption and promising new creation. He went to the cross to die, to pay the price, to buy back all those who would believe in him. And those Genesis 3 glimpses suddenly come into sharp focus. Yes, the snake struck him as he died, but it could never deceive him like it deceived Adam and Eve, and so he crushed its head. And descended from Eve, he brought life. And he was the innocent one whose death has covered the sins of many. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he was called. And Lamb is what John calls him seven times in those last three chapters of Revelation. Because there he is, right at the end, at the new creation. Beside God on his throne, we're told there is a Lamb standing as though it had been slain. How does that work? Because so precious and so perfect was he that his death could pay for every wrong and death could still have no claim on him. Death could not hold him and was forced to watch him leave the grave with everlasting life. All those healings and releasings and welcomes and forgivings before his death were signs of the recreating power he was to unleash upon his resurrection. And so now men and women were made new as they believed the news of his victory. And they were reunited with God. And they were reborn as sons and daughters. They were released from the hold of sin and death. They relearned the ways of love and joy and rule that they had been made for. And they shared this new life with those who were around them. And they felt the fight 
between the rebellion and the Redeemer in themselves as well as all around them. They experience joy and sorrow, opposition and success. And so they waited. They lived with a waiting, longing for the day when he would return and all would be completed. John is shown what this is like in Revelation. The devil, also called that ancient serpent, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur to be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw great and small standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire because the rebellion will be over and all its corruption banished to make way for the new creation. Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. This is not a reset. This is not a return to Eden. This is the fulfillment of all that God intended through a route that no one would have imagined or expected. God has done it. What began as a garden in the wilderness is now a city that fills the whole earth. What began as a, with a couple is now a countless multitude. And God see, uh, John sees God's people as they were always meant to be, with God, worshipping him gladly and ruling alongside him, astonished at the grace he has revealed. And John sees a love story brought to its climax as Christ and his church are married. And we see that all those who told us stories which ended, they lived happily ever after, spoke truer than they knew. That's the story. That is the story. That is the true story of the past, the present, and the future. And that it's true is more than enough reason for us to know it and believe it. But I want us to finish by just considering how powerful and liberating this story is. And even as you've heard it, praying the Holy Spirit will be doing things in you and they may be one or some of these three things. And the first is this, that this, is, this story has unique power to explain everything and anything. We are living in God's good creation. 
with the effects of rebellion everywhere. Redemption has been won and many are being made new now, but the new creation has yet to fully come. So, when we think, why is everything so complicated? Why are we and why is creation such a confusing combination of incredible beauty and power and chaos and futility? Why do documentary, uh, nature documentaries, like one moment they just amaze us and the next moment they kind of repulse us? We're like, that's really amazing. Then we see something else like, that's horrible. Why is that? Because this is a good creation. But it is presently under a curse. There are destructive forces at work in it. Why are people so capable of good and so capable of evil? Why are they able to flip from one to the other in a moment? Why do sometimes they combine those two? Why has the past century seen more people brought out of poverty than ever before and more wars and climate damage than ever before? Because we are made in the image of God. We are his handiwork. We are his likeness. And we have been corrupted by sin. And why, whisper it, why are some Christians as bad as, you know, everyone else? Because though we have been made new, that new creation has not been fully realised yet. And there is still sin at work in us. Or how about, why are humans, these earthly creatures, so very, very earthly and yet full of heavenly thoughts? Why is nothing in this life ever enough? Because we were created by God for nothing less than to know and love him and be known and loved by him. We were made to live in heaven on earth. No, we forfeited this. Jesus came to make it possible again. All of these things are in play all the time, in your life, in our world. So we share about our faith with other people. If we can explain this story to them, we are giving them a vision of the truth and a way to understand their own experience as well as ours. It's worth gently asking, and maybe you need to ask this of yourself. If your view of the world can accommodate all the complexity of a creation in ruins that's being redeemed and will be recreated. This story has explanatory power. It is the true account of how things are and why things are and why we long that they would be other. And secondly, it's the story that gives us purpose. Simply to use that word story is a giveaway. It's to admit a sense of meaning. And humans are made for meaning. We we can't live without it. It's no surprise when you know that's God's intention for us. The claim that everything's just random chance and that the quest for uh, you know, meaning uh, is just some sort of coping mechanism to get us through the blank and unforgiving emptiness of the universe. If you will actually think about that, that is crushing. Most people don't because it's 
too much. And so they cling to the sense of story while denying the need for an author. But if there's a story, if there's a plot, then there has to be an author, a storyteller. But here's the great news, because if there's a story and an author, then you are a character in that story. You have a part to play. You matter. What you do with your life has eternal significance. This is great news. As long as within you that your life would count, that things did have meaning. That was right. It's also deeply challenging news. Because you are simultaneously released from creating your own meaning or relying on other flawed people to define it for you. But you must accept God's authority. You must accept how he wants life to be, what his plan is, what right and wrong, good and bad really are. The choices we make are not a matter of our own preference. They're not made in isolation. They are either in harmony with the creator or in rebellion against him. Now, we may find the obligations of this purpose hard to bear sometimes. That's true. Trying to live in accordance with God's intentions can cause internal struggles and external trouble. But the alternative is far worse. And living this way is to live the one way of true hope. Because finally, this is the story that gives us hope. This story is going somewhere. And for those who have put their faith in Jesus, it's going somewhere really good. It really, really is. And you don't have to just kind of vainly hope for the best. Or you, and you needn't abandon hope. You can place all your desires and longings in God. and You will not be disappointed. For, for you to be integrated and flourishing and loved, for others to be known and cared for and collaborated with, for the world to be cleansed and enjoyed and fruitful. All of this is part of the story that God has written. That is where it is going. Some of this will happen now, during this stage of the story. Because creation hasn't lost all of its goodness and the new creation has begun. But plenty of it won't happen now because there is still a curse. Because sin and death still have power. Because the enemy is still at liberty and Jesus has not yet returned to make everything new. And because we live in in a time of such huge prosperity and so much goodness discovered and and released and enabled uh, for us, I I think we can tend to expect that everything is supposed to go well now, that that's what's normal, and that it's God's job to make sure that's the case. So when things aren't going well, we hope that they will get better very soon in the here and now. 
and we hold God in judgment when things aren't as we want them to be. But that is to misunderstand where we are in the story and what real hope is. The Apostle Paul said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we're of all people most to be pitied. His experience was that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. This life may be bitterly hard, but it is dust in the scales compared to the weight of glory and goodness to come in the new creation for those who trust in Jesus. That is the Christian understanding of hope. Not that you will get a job that you like now. Not that you will get a partner who you like now. Not that you will be healthy and live a long and fulfilling life now. Those things may happen, they may not happen. That's not Christian hope. Christian hope is that he is coming to make all things new. And if you're in him, you will be part of that. So don't give up. Groan by all means. But wait eagerly, hopefully, because this story and only this story promises a happy ending. Think more about this story than you currently do. It's our hope for this term that one of the things will happen is you'll just understand this story and it become part of how you understand yourself and the world and people around you and God. Set your hope in him and in what he is doing. Creation, rebellion, redemption, new creation. Let's let this story work its truth in us. Let's just bless his name together. Let's thank him. Let's thank him. Some of you, he's just, it's like a light has been switched on. Like, oh, oh, I get it. He's opened your eyes. He's opening your eyes. Just thank him. Just thank him. Like Chris said earlier, this vision of Jesus the more you see of him, the more you see of how he sees you. Maybe some of you, it's just relief. It's just relief. Oh, it doesn't rest on me. Oh, it's not really about me. But I'm in it. It's relief. Oh, that thing I did. Those things I did. They need not define me. I can be redeemed. Given a new name and a place in this story. So I think it's just the relief. The relief that this ends well. Lucy read it and then I read it again. There will be no more death. He will wipe every tear 
from our eyes. And death shall be no more, for the old order of things has passed away. Didn't just come to an end, didn't just kind of run out of energy, was ended by Him. He's making all things new. He's making you new. Some of you, he's just giving you new, a new sense of purpose. A new sense that you can just feel it. There's a solidity beneath your feet. And almost a twitching in those feet to walk in this way. To walk on this solid ground. In a certain, in a certain direction. Just say yes to him. Say yes to him right now. There'll be so many complicated bits of the story, but we say yes to him. Say, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll go where you go and I'll do what you say because I want to be where you are now and forever. And some of you, it's just... It's just hope. It's just hope. And you've maybe given up. Maybe you've given up on God. Just thought it was just, this thing didn't happen. That thing did happen. I look around me, I look within me, and I just think, it's easier not to hope. And God says, no, 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 no. I understand. I understand. But no, hope in me. Hope in me, Jesus says. Place your hope in me. Maybe you just need to bring that to God right now. Say, God, I am hoping. I am hoping in you. And maybe this is the first time you're going to do that. You've heard about it a lot. You've had people tell you about it a lot. And that's all fine. But there comes a moment where you have to step in. You have to say, this will be my story too. And God is inviting you right now through something that was said, through something you heard. Just you, know, you can't even explain it, but God's at work in your life right now by His Holy Spirit. He's enabling you to say yes. To say sorry to Him for your rebellion. To say please to Him for His redemption. That Jesus dying would take away all your sin. And Jesus rising to new life would bring you into God's family. You can ask him to do that now and he will begin his work of new creation in you. Lord, whoever we are and however we're feeling about this, we just want to submit to you. So you are the author We trust in you, we hope in you, we ask you to lead us. Keep showing us this story, keep helping us to understand our lives and our world and the hope you've given us all this term and all our lives. For your glory, Lord. Amen.